You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Covenant Church in Big Spring, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us online. To find more resources or to donate to this amazing ministry, please visit us at cccbigspring.org or text your amount to 84321. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God. thank you for being here this morning and certainly we thank our online audience again we're going to be in mark the second chapter if you grab that book and chapter i want us to stand to our feet it is our uh our custom to stand for the opening reading of god's word we are in a four week uh, we've been in this series for four weeks called kingdom essentials our topic has been taking a journey back to the things that are vital uh first week pastor Corey launched our series opener with the kingdom essentials of worship Week two, we spoke on the subject of the essentials of his presence. Then we were in Luke 17 and 7. We talked about the essentials of his servants. Today, we're going to conclude our series. Uh, Today, we're going to, this particular story is told between verses 1 through 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And then this coming Wednesday, we will actually bring it to its conclusion. And so those who can, I would invite you to come back uh, this coming Wednesday for the latter part, verses 6 through 12. But before I read the scripture, there was a thing that I thought was very interesting based on what we're covering. It says, once upon a time, there was four men named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And there was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. But everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, Nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody and nobody did the job that anybody could have done in the first place. The moral of the story, just do it. Look at your neighbor and say, just do it. Mark, the second chapter, verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Your translation may be different from mine, but I believe you'll be able to follow along. Again, Mark, the second chapter, Mark, the second chapter, verses 1 through 5. And again, he entered in entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, they gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they, somebody say they, came to him, bringing the paralytic who was carried by four men. How many men? And when they, somebody say they, could not come near him because of the crowd, they, somebody say they, uncovered the roof where he was. So when they, somebody say they, had broken through, one more time, somebody say they, let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. In our fourth and final week of our Kingdom Essential series, we're going to continue our journey back to the things that are vital. Listen to me. Today's message focuses on some spiritual but yet practical solutions that we all can learn, we all can teach, and we can all deploy in our personal lives. It doesn't matter if you're an oil field hand or the supervisor of that crew. It doesn't matter if you're a new nurse on the floor or the director of nursing. It doesn't matter if you're a ministry team member or the ministry leader. Doesn't matter if you're a new patrolman or the shift supervisor, you can learn from the principle we're going to share today. You could be on the bench football player or the team captain. You can be a firefighter, a, a firefighter or the chief. 
You can be a small business owner with even a smaller team doing big things, and you can learn from what I'm going to share with you today. New correctional officer, or you may be the lieutenant, the captain, the, mayor, the major, or the warden. You can learn from this. Doesn't matter if you're a new, serve, a, a new a soldier or sailor or the retiring general. The principles that I'm going to share with you, you can absolutely learn from them today. What I'm going to share with you, our title is His Mission. His Mission, Five Keys to, successfully, to Successful Teamwork. Five keys to successful teamwork. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the opportunity to come and share in your word today. Now feed us, feed our spirits, feed our hearts, feed our minds, O oh God, with these principles that not only will impact our lives spiritually, but practically in the sense of our relationships in the kingdom as well in, in our circular influences. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say Amen. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. It was Tom Hopkins that once said, and I quote, I am not judged by the number of times I fail, but by the number of times I succeed. And the number of times I succeed is direct proportion to the number of times I fail and keep trying, close quote. I'm going to say that again. It was Tom Hopkins that says, I am not judged by the number of times I fail. But, I am, but by the number of times I succeed. The number of times I succeed is in direct proportion to the number of times I fail and keep trying. In other words, I am successful not because I fail, but I'm successful because I kept, keep trying. I want to encourage somebody to keep trying. Notice in our opening passage, the Bible says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Now, this is what I want you to capture. Understand, Jesus enters into the city of Capernaum, and when he does, he does it somewhat what we would say anonymously. In other words, Jesus is, is, is keeping a low profile. Uh, but how many know you can slip into a city and people still see you? How many of you ever tried to get into Walmart, slip in and slip out? And you got your cap pulled way down. Come on, somebody. you like, you didn't brush your teeth that morning. Your hair is not cold. And you're trying to slip in, right? You get in. The Bible says he, he comes into the city, but it was heard. It was heard. In other words, the word got out that Jesus had come into the city. And when he came into the city, not only that, the scripture confirms. Here it is. It says, the text says, it was heard that he was in the house. So Jesus is there. And someone has become aware of Jesus' presence in the city. Someone has become aware that Jesus' presence is in a house. And the word began to spread that Jesus is there. When this happens, the scripture says immediately. Somebody say immediately. Immediately when the word began to spread, people began to hear about Jesus being in the house. And they come to the house where Jesus is at. When they get to the place where Jesus is currently residing, the Bible says that because the word spread and people that came, they tried to get in, but they couldn't. The reason they couldn't is because the house had become filled that there was no room. Have you ever heard of being standing room only? This place became so packed that there was not even standing room. Notice verse 2. It says, immediately many gathered together so that there was no room to receive them, not even near the door. So that means the place is packed. Somebody say it's packed. 
And the reason it's packed is because Jesus is in the house. How many know that things will change when Jesus is in the house? That's why we want to make sure that we are ministry, that we can have great song, great preaching, and great prayer and all that. But we need to know that Jesus is in the house. The good news is that he gives us a, he gives us a promise. He said, it don't take a whole lot. It don't even have to have a pack house. He said, if there be two or three gathered there in my name, he says, there, I'll be right there in the midst. So Jesus is in the house. Somebody say, Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house, and then the scripture says, notice this, that he preached the word to them. Now, this is what you need to capture. Jesus is the word preaching the word. Okay, I'm going to talk to y'all over here. I said, Jesus is the word preaching the word. The Bible says in John that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's John 1 and 1. You come on down to the 14th verse, he says, And we beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what he's saying? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. He ain't just the Logos. He's the rhema. He is the word. And here Jesus is preaching the word. He didn't give us a text. He didn't give us a sermon title. He didn't give us a subject. He didn't give us a topic. But he preached the word. And we live in a time that I don't care all this extra stuff we do. We got to make sure we're preaching the word. Because if lives are going to be changes because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at your name and say, preach the word. We ought to preach the word to our children. We ought to preach the word to our spouses. We ought to preach the words to our friends. We ought to preach the word to our co-workers. Why? Because the power of transformation lies within the power of the preached word of God. Now, the Bible says Jesus preached the word. Now, after he preached the word, notice in the text, we're going to move here expeditiously because here's my few observations that I want to make with you this morning. It's found in verses 3 and 4. Let's start there in verse number 3. Now, as we prepare to go into verse number 3, I'm going to call some volunteers. I need my crew. I need a crew. Come on, crew. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. here we go. Uh, yeah, we got a crew. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? I, you say you don't know what I want, but <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> now look at somebody and say thank God for the crew yeah you thank God for the crew we're gonna hold him right there y'all 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 watch him make sure they don't act up or nothing okay y'all y'all watch okay here we go look here the Bible says in verse 3 then they came somebody say they the Bible says then they came to Jesus then they came to Jesus they came to Jesus they came to Jesus the crew it's got somebody that they're bringing to Jesus. Now, for all of you supervisors and team leaders and anyone that's in leadership or you are a team member, these are some principles I want to teach you. The first key to successful teamwork, number one is, here it is, don't get, miss this, number one is availability. The reason that they're able to bring him to Jesus, the reason they're able themselves to come to Jesus themselves, here it is, is because they are available. You cannot get anything done with the team if you are not available to serve with the team. Some of you are frustrated because you keep trying to drag your friends and your friends don't want to do what God has assigned you to do. Okay, let me go a little deeper. I'm already on your toes. Let's just keep on going. That's why you, listen, that's why God is not sending you the right man or the right woman into your life. See, you can go snatch one, but if you want God to send them, God loves you just like he loves them. He loves them just like he loves you. And sometimes you're not available. You say, I'm single. You can be single and not available. You're not emotionally available, mentally available, and sometimes physically not available. So what you have to do is be available. Somebody say available. 
So here it is. The first step of availability is understanding what availability means. Availability means the individual is not involved with anything that would prevent them from being used. So one thing that we notice in the text when it says, and they came and brought him to Jesus, what we do know is that those four men that was carrying him were available to do so. If we're going to do anything for God, we have to be available to be able to get it done. So what we have to do at this stage is prioritize. We got to find out, am I actually available? I volunteer. I want to do that. I'm going to go volunteer in our community. I'm going to go serve at this agency or this nonprofit or this organization. But those may be good intentions, but are you available to do it? Now, a lot of times, you know what we do unintentionally is we put God last at the list. God is at the very bottom of the list. And so we stack all the stuff we want to do rather than putting the stuff of what we should do or have to do. I was brought up with this. Do what you have to do and you'll have time to do what you want to do. So here it is. Somebody say available. It was one. I love this quote. It was by uh, Coach Phil Jackson. He says this and I quote. He says the strength of the team is each individual member. The strength of each member is the team. In other words, every individual team member needs a team, and every team needs individuals that make up that team, and that's where their strength lies. I need you, and you need me, and we're better together. That's the, that's the principle of that quote. So availability. Now, one of the things we see is that they brought him to Jesus. So they grabbed him, and they lifted him, and they began to move out. They're carrying him. They're carrying him. They're carrying him. Now, now drop him right there. That's good. No dropping. Just sit him down. Just sit him down right there. Amen. Our insurance don't cover that kind of stuff. Okay, so, so here it is. The Bible says, and they came to him, but they didn't just come, but they said bringing a paralytic. Now, a paralytic is simply a person that had paralysis, which is a loss or an impairment of voluntary movements of their body it could be some type of injury or disease of the nerves it could be a disease of the brain it could be a disease of the spinal cord all of that is impacted but the bible says they was carried or he was carried this paralytic was carried by four men how many men four he was carried by four men matthew mark luke and john and paul is on the cot you'll get that on the way to the car Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. In other words, it was carried in, carried in on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Synoptic Gospels. You'll get it. Okay, later. Okay. We'll cover that on Wednesday night. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are actually carrying. They're carrying. So they, they lift him up. They're they carrying him. They, they're carrying him, and they're bringing him to Jesus. They're bringing him. Okay, y'all sit him down. Don't drop him. Just sit him down. Okay, when they bring him in, here's the second key that I want you to capture because the Bible says he was carried by four men. When I started studying this, this particular part of the passage carried by four men made me think about their balance and, and their rhythm. And, and if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you carry things with two or more people, you notice stepping and rhythm and all of those things is important. And it reminded me of, of one of the college courses that I was taking when I was uh, majoring in sociology. Uh, they had a, a particular uh, subject that was covered called social facilitation. Now, social facilitation, let me tell you briefly what that is. Social facilitation is basically a finding that people sometimes show an increased level of effort as a result of real, imagined, or implied presence of others. In other words, we get motivated when other people show up. Have you ever been in the gym by yourself just pumping it out, and then people start to gather, and then you just, you, mm. I'm going to talk to some real people over here. 
you. Have, have you, okay, brothers, have you ever had to, to help, you know, somebody carry some groceries and, and you grabbed it and you realized it was much heavier? And, and she said, do you need some help? And you're like, I got it. And your tonsils is in your socks, but you're still trying to, you know, because you're being motivated, right? You're motivated by the uh, experience. You're motivated by the presence of others. There's two types of social facilitation that has been defined. The first one is co-action effects. The second one is audience effect. Co-action effect is this, it refers to the performance being better on a task merely because the other person is doing the same task with you. An example would be working at an office with co-workers instead of doing a project by yourself in a solitary environment. It is believed that co-action effects are so powerful that training cyclists have discovered that when they train together with other cyclists, check this out, they are able to work harder, go longer, ride faster simply because other people are present. They are able to go longer, harder, faster, simply because they have other people doing the same thing. Then you have the flip side of that coin called the audience effect. Audience effects refers to the performance being better because, we are, because you're doing something in front of an audience. An example would be a pianist playing at home versus on stage in front of a crowd. It is believed that the audience effects are so powerful that an actor... A performer, a musician becomes energized by the audience doing, uh, doing, uh, doing the performance in front of them makes the performance better simply because there are attendees there in the audience. But they discovered something, that even though there's this real effect that you are inspired and motivated and encouraged because other people are present, they found out that there was a caveat. They found out that there was this effect was not always as strong when you've seen somebody participating. Here it is with tug of war. So you got 10 people on this side and 10 people on this side in tug of war. And the reason why they could not measure the effect because the people that was pulling the rope could fake it. You can have your hands on the rope and really not be pulling your Wait, so that means that there is times that you're pulling something, a marriage, a family, a business, and you got people carrying, and you think they're really doing their weight, and you realize that they're not pulling their weight, and you're wondering, why is this so heavy in this season? Could it be you still got people walking with you that ain't lifting nothing? Y'all better hear me while I'm preaching good. You need to understand that there's times that you got a crew together, you got a team together, you got people that are on your team, on your payroll, and they're not even pulling their weight. They're just going through the motion, doing just enough to be able to get a check, doing just enough not to be terminated. Talk to me, somebody. So all of a sudden, you see that you can fake it. Pretend that you're caring. The reason I brought up social facilitation, y'all pick up uh, our paralytic. The reason I, 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 I've seen, I brought this up because if all four of them are carrying and then Matthew begins to tilt and not carry his load, how many of you know it becomes very obvious he ain't pulling his weight? Sometime God will allow you to be a part of some things to let you see not only what weight you need to be bringing and carrying, he'll show you what others need to be carrying as well. And this is not a time to be dogging and, and, and beating up each other. This is a time to check on Matthew and say, hey, Matthew, we need to, you to pull your weight, man. We see that you're tilting. We were balanced back there, but right now we're tilting over. All of a sudden, this ain't going as smooth, and we all got to load the pull. Is something going on wrong with you, Matthew, that you can't pull your weight? You need to be able to pull your share. If you need to take a break, 
weight. Let's all put him down so that we can take a break. But we ain't going to keep moving and pulling the weight and doing your work, the work you're supposed to be doing. Talk to me, somebody. You need to be able to pull your work. And working as a team means working as a team. So social facilitation brings this, uh, this point out. Notice, I want you to notice in the text, it says at the top of verse 4, it says, and when they, somebody say they, when they could not come near to Jesus because of the crowd. Notice they come, and there's a crowd of people. The crowd is so, so they're, they're staged. They're trying to get there. They've already checked. But, but there's so many people that they can't bring him to Jesus. This is what I want you to capture. Notice they did not stop carrying the man, nor, nor did they carry this man just to a place, but the mission is not complete. So they have not abandoned their individual roles. They didn't just start out together. They're determined to complete together. They did not abandon their roles, nor did they abandon their commitment to the task at hand, which brings me to my second key. Here it is. The second key to successful teamwork is the team members are able to do the task. It's one thing to be available to the, do the task. The second one is ableness. What is ableness, Pastor Willard? I'm so glad you asked. It, ableness is, means an individual possessed the power an individual possessed the skill, the individual possessed the means, as well as the opportunity to do the task. So it's not enough to be available to do the task if, you're not, if there's not ableness or an able attitude to do the task. So, number one, a person that is able to do the task is a person that possesses the power. Somebody say the power. That means the individuals that are carrying this individual now have the strength to carry so they're able to lift up the load. When you're assembling the team, you got to first, before you assemble your team, find out what your task is. Sometimes you're trying to bring your buddies, but they weren't even ready to do the task that you were called to do. So you got to make sure that they're able and qualified to actually do the task that is required. That's the key. You got to know that you're able to do the task. The second thing is notice that they picked him up so they have the strength. The second one is when you're monitoring ableness, do they also possess the skill? Y'all come. Here we go. Stop. Notice that they were all capable. So that means that not only do they have the strength, which is the, the, or the power, which means the strength, but they also have the skill. That means their feet are working. That means that they don't have the same issue that the same person that's on the cot has. The person on the cot has paralysis. And sometimes my problem is we got a bunch of sick people trying to carry sick folk. So sometimes they have a, listen, they have a desire, but they do not possess the strength to live, nor do they have the skill to move with the load that they're carrying. Also, a person that is, has ableness is not only a person that has the strength or the power, somebody that has the skill, but they also has the means, the means. Y'all put him down, put him down, put him down. Okay, y'all pick him up, pick him up, pick him up. Y'all put him down, y'all put him down. Y'all pick him, pick him up, pick him up. Y'all put him down, put him down, put him down, put him down. Just put him down. Okay, notice they put him down. The reason they were able to pick him up and put him down is because they had hands. They had the skill that was simply required for the task. And the task only required for them to pick him up and put him down. But had they had no hands, they wouldn't have possessed the skills to do this task. That doesn't mean a person that don't have no hands can't get certain jobs done. But when it came to this job, they would have to not do this or develop some other type of means to get the same job done. So do they possess the means? And then here it is, the opportunity. 
So it's not enough. That goes back to availability. So do you have the power? Do you have the skills? Do you have the means? And do you have the opportunity to do it? Now, here, when it comes to opportunity, I told you that it links back to the first one, which is availability. You need to understand that it is important that you understand the power of opportunity. Opportunity, it's been said, it is better to prepare for an opportunity that doesn't present itself than to have an opportunity present itself and you not be prepared. Let me tell every young person and every athlete and every person that is waiting to get promoted, don't wait till you get promotion, promoted to prepare yourself. Prepare yourself right now so when that opportunity comes, you're ready to slide in. And that doesn't mean that we get into silly stuff like witchcraft. Lord, help them fail. Lord, fire them. Because you don't want nobody praying that mess over you. Talk to me, somebody. Sometimes Christians can act really weird. I just wish you would just destroy them and remove them out of the way so they could keep me from being advancing. God don't have to move anybody to promote you. God don't have to kill anybody to get you blessed. God has plenty of blessings, amen, to come down your way. But you have to understand, you need to be prepared for the opportunity that he's getting ready to put in your hand. So these individuals not only had to be available, they had to be able to get the job done. Here, I want to say this to you as I, I, I thought about Mother Teresa. This is a quote that she says, None of us, including me, ever do great things, but we can do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. Did you catch that? I'm going to say it again. None of us, including me, ever do great things, but we all do small things with great love. And together, somebody say together, we can do something wonderful, close quote. Notice in the scripture, the Bible says, and they, here it is, come on, somebody say, and they. So here they go, they come, and they're bringing him. They're bringing him to Jesus, the crowd is there, they're, they're bringing him in, they're bringing him into Jesus. Notice they're working together, notice they're working together, they have to work together, because they got precious cargo, right? So they, 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 they working together, working together, working together, here it is. And the Bible says that they were, here it is, they came, brought him to Jesus. I told you that availability. And then they pressed past that to the crowd. So all of a sudden now you go from, a, from availability to ableness. But then the scripture says they go, they go and uncover the roof. Here it is. They got to go uncover. Y'all, let's go uncover the roof. Y'all, y'all, yeah. Now we got to leave him there because we can't try to uncover the roof trying to carry him too. So that's a note for somebody. Sometimes you got to know when to drop your load. So you can switch over and do something else that's going to help them later. I went through that. I remember my wife came to me and she said, I want to go back to college. This was years ago. She said, I want to go back to college. I was like, all right. And she started telling me about, you know, how it was going to benefit our home and, 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 and our livelihood and, and all of those things. And I was like, yeah. And then she signed up. I'm giving you, I'm giving you real stuff here. I'm, I'm giving them time to take down the roof, right? And so uh, I remember coming home one day. And I walked in our bedroom, and she had all these AP books, anatomy and physiology books on the bed. Okay, let me translate for y'all, because they got deep. That means Disneyland is shut down. <laughs> and I told y'all the story. I'm giving you my testimony. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed with my feet like this, like a little kid, like I was eight years old. Like, 
pouting. You ever, you know why? Because what she was saying, we have to take this load, set it down so we can go and do something greater. We can always come back and pick this up, but we can't just stand here holding this because this is not the ultimate objective. The ultimate objective is to take this and move it over there. Are y'all with me? So sometimes you have to take a momentary pause. Amen. We call it a pregnant pause. You have to have that pregnant pause where you stop just for a moment, but it's going to pay off in the end. Amen. So here it is. Let me check on them and make sure they Y'all, I'm going to check on them, okay? Y'all, 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 y'all good? Okay, y'all got the roof done? Okay, y'all come on. Okay, so, so here it is. Here it is. You know what the third thing they had to do? Notice the text. The Bible says they uncovered, somebody say uncovered. They uncovered the roof where he was. Here's my third key to successful teamwork is the team members are, here it is, willing you got to be willing to do the task. One segment of willingness deals with our attitude. Here, attitude. So the thing is, is do you care? And then you got to ask yourself this question, do I care enough? That's why next month when we start dealing with our lies, couples believe, we're going to ask the question of do you love, but do you love me enough? Because sometimes you love, but you don't love so do you care Well, you've cared up to this point, but now all of a sudden you reached your first obstacle? The first obstacle is we got here and our objective was to bring him to Jesus. But now we've gotten here to Jesus, but we can't get to him because there's no room. So what do I do when I've gotten to a place and what I was expecting, I can't go in that way? Some of you quit too soon. I went and applied for college, but they denied me. Go to another school then. She didn't want me. There's somebody else there, out there, brother. Come on. He didn't need me. Somebody else needs what you have to bring to the table. You need to understand, you quit sometime too soon. And one thing we noticed about this crew is that not only were they available, not only were they able, but one thing they had was a willing attitude. You got to be willing. Somebody say, be willing. So they picked him up. They picked him up and they took him to the house. So here they are. They took him to the house. There it is. And they brought him and they set him down. They've already cleared the roof. Check this out. The Bible says they began to unravel the roof. It made me think about a quote by Henry Ford. Henry Ford said this, and I quote, Coming together is the beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. Close quote. Did you capture that? Working together is the beginning. Keeping it together is progress. Working together is success. What does it mean to be willing? Willing means, means an individual is ready, eager, and prepared to do the task. How do we know that they were prepared, willing to do the task? Because when they hit their first obstacle and they couldn't get into the house because it was so filled, they said, wait a minute, let's do something different. So the Bible says they went and took off the roof. Not only did they take off the roof, notice what the text says. The text goes on to say, and so when, somebody say when. When they had broken through, that lets you know that it just wasn't one tile. Notice they went to uncover the roof, and then the same passage says, and they broke through. We can surmise from that particular topic, from that particular rhythm of the text, is that this was some work that had to be done. It was just not one tile, it was multiple tiles. And I would, in my mind, I can see tile upon tile. Because why would I need to break through if it's just one thing that I need to slide away? 
they removed it. it is. They're removing, 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 removing. And this brings me to my fourth key to the successful teamwork is the team members are determined to do the task. What does it mean to be determined? It means that individual, individual individuals have made a firm decision and have resolved within themselves not to change it. They are fully committed to do the task or the mission. It was Churchill that says, if you're going through hell, keep going. I'm just going through. Well, keep going. Don't stay there. Amen. The Bible says, though we walk in the shadow of the valley, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at your neighbor and say, don't stay there. It was Thomas Edison that says, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. Most certain, here, most certain ways to succeed is always to try just one more time, close quote. So they began to let him down. So let's, let's, let's get him up. Let's get him up. They get him up. They get him up. Up, 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 up. Now, this is when everybody's got to pull their load. Because if Matthew and Jeremy start to falter and they're still pulling their load, he could slide right off. Go back up, up, up. If uh, Parnell and Danny began to drop their load, guess what? They could drop him on his head. That wouldn't be good. So all of a sudden here, up, 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 up. They are now on the roof and their job now is to work together as a team. Some scholars believe that they use ropes uh, I didn't go and get ropes because I didn't see that illustrated in the passage. But this is what I can tell you. They began to work together to bring him down. So all of a sudden they're bringing him down, bringing him down, bringing him down, bringing him down. And they dropped him right in, lured him right into the presence of Jesus. So what is the fifth step? When you're working as a team, it's not enough just to be available or able or willing or determined, here it is, the fifth one is submission. You have to be submitted to the task at hand. Notice when I said lift, 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 y'all lift, okay, uh, 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 they're lifting, they're lifting, okay, now let's ease him into the presence of Jesus, y'all be careful, lead, lead, okay, y'all come on, let, yeah, y'all letting him into the presence of Jesus. Notice something that has to happen in this case to work as a team. Somebody has to be willing to give a command, and somebody has to be willing to accept one. In the military, we have preparatory command and command of execution. Commander! A pitch! Huh! So that's preparatory command, command of execution. Somebody has to be willing to give the command, and there has to be soldiers that's ready to take the command. If everybody wants to be in charge, nothing gets done. And sometimes you want to be in charge, but you are not available. Sometimes you want to be in charge, but you're not able. And it becomes real apparent that you're not prepared, though you're willing, though you're determined, that you do not possess the skill set to do what's being asked to be done of you. So all of a sudden, you got somebody like me who don't understand a whole lot about measurement, and I'm saying, come on, bring him down, we're ready, but the hole is this big. Now we got to come back and do twice the much work because somebody that possesses that skill set is going to come over and say, hey, we need to open this up. Why? Because you're looking at the box and letting him go in head first or foot first, but this is a paralytic. This person cannot, we got to lower him down here. So that means it's got, the hole's got to be as wide as he is on the bed. Somebody has to possess that skill set. So whatever it is, and I'm not saying that a leader has to know everything. Good leadership is surrounding yourself with people that know what you don't. Leadership is the process of influencing others to accomplish a mission by providing purpose, motivation, and direction. You don't have to know everything, but you got to surround yourself with people that don't know 
what, or know what you don't know. Can you say amen? So here you are, they're there, and they, they are there. They're submitted to the task. The problem is this. When you have four people who have been on this journey and they've gotten to this point, a lot of times the reason that we're not successful in taking the person and luring them in to Jesus is because offenses come. All of a sudden now Matthew is mad at, at Danny. And all of a sudden y'all lift it up. Y'all lift him up, lifting up, lifting up, lifting up. Now all of a sudden, now y'all, no, no, just not, not that high. Boy, y'all ready. Y'all are ready. Damn. Yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, that's good. And now Danny lets go of his. Danny lets go of his. And now we're left like this. They're doing the best they can. But Danny's left because he's offended at Matt. So now this person is in a vulnerable place because the higher they're tired to take this, the more vulnerable he's going to be. And so offenses come. Now, let me help every person that's listening online and on site. For everyone that's a manager, a leader, a, a team leader, a business owner, a ministry leader, this is what you need to know about offenses. Offenses are inevitable. You married and you've been offended with your own spouse. I don't know why y'all put him down. Put him down because I'm about to look. I forgot about y'all over here. I'm, I, I am, I'm at an age and stage where I'm absolutely blown away that people are surprised that they get offended with their brothers and sisters in Christ. You get offended with your in-laws. You get offended with your spouse. You definitely get offended at your kids. Talk to me, somebody. So, so listen, I want to help you with something. As it relates to this, the Bible says in Luke 17 and 1, Jesus teaches us, Luke says, you don't have to turn there, but Luke 17 and 1 teaches us that offenses are inevitable. They are absolute. They're going to come. You're going to be offended. The problem is not the offense. It's how you manage the offense when it comes. Now, real quick, real quick. Tell me some offenses. Just one or two words. Just throw the offense out there real quick. You can't use jealousy because that was 9 o'clock. They said jealousy. Lying. Okay, so cause dishonesty, right? Because why? Uh, lying arose trust. And, and trust cannot be demanded because trust must be proven over time through goodwill right so if you don't trust the person you're carrying with it won't be la uh, long before you want to be offended about that right somebody else told me one more was the disrespect and what was the other one betrayal betrayal okay so here it is come here Matthew 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 and Danny they 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 here they are I'm gonna turn so you can so the camera can see your pretty face okay here it is so 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 here they are they are offended they got issues so how do we mitigate or manage these issues? Well, Jesus has already given the church for the solution, and these principles don't just work in church. They work in the secular community as well. That's the power of kingdom wisdom. So 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, the 18th verse tells us that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, right? The ministry of reconciliation. Now, while I'm doing this, can I just take a five-second break? Earlier, I called, I said uh, that uh, Melinda... Uh, got married and I said Matthew Matthew is her brother-in-law she got married to Randy <laughs> so if you're listening if y'all listening if y'all are up by now uh, it, uh, <laughs> I apologize it, it's actually Randy okay okay I just you know don't start nothing it won't be that you know what I'm saying okay so so here they are they the Bible has given us the ministry of reconciliation Ministry of Reconciliation. So God is saying our kingdom mandate, kingdom responsibility, but also our kingdom influence is the power to bring people who have become offended. So all of a sudden we find out, and, I, and, and, and 
and uh, Matthew told Danny, I don't like your mama. <laughs> did you say that? I did, yeah. <laughs> How did that make you feel? Mad. Considering that was your friend. Mm -hmm. And he know your mama. Mm -hmm. And for him to say that, that hurt. Mm -hmm. So here it is. We have the offense. The offense is the issue. <laughs> you cannot can carry a load in marriage, in business, or anywhere else together if you're going to be dealing with and don't know how to manage offenses. Offenses are inevitable. Offenses are not. That's why churches are in such turmoil. I'm mad at this one, so I go to this church. I'm disappointed in this, so I go to this church. I go. Um, eventually, you got to manage your offense. And our job as leaders is to get out front and say, help me to help you walk through this process. So our job in leadership, because we're trying to get this man and drop him in the very presence of Jesus, and our offense is going to affect how we do that. So our job is to come so we can continue to work together and say, wait a minute, here you go, Matthew. Uh, the first step is, number one, first R is recognize. Somebody say, you better recognize. Recognize, do you realize that was wrong? Are you contrite? Okay, uh, I think it's important that you seek his forgiveness. Okay, do you accept his apology? Yes, I do. do you believe he's sincere? Yes. Because here it is, if you don't believe he's sincere and, 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 and it's not real, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is a real simple process, but it has to work by doing it the right way. So here it is, there must be recognition. The second step is repentance. Somebody say repentance. Repentance means I'm going to have a change of mind and direction. So he has to carry himself in a way that says you never ever have to worry about me doing that and offending you in that area of your life again. I will never disrespect your mother nor you again. That's repentance. That means I take responsibility, I apologize, but I'm going to alter my thinking, my speech, my behavior because I had a change of heart. That's what repentance is, a change of heart, therefore I have a change of direction. So all of a sudden I repent. So I've offered my apology, I've asked, now I'm seeking forgiveness. Now, do you forgive him? Yes. Okay, so now in the forgiveness, which is the second phase, which is repentance, I'm going to seek repentance. That means not only do I seek forgiveness, I have to also in this party receive or offer forgiveness. If you don't, it's possible for this person to be blessed by God because they took responsibility, humbled themselves, and sought forgiveness. But all of a sudden, if you're not careful over here, you can go through the motions but hold on to a grudge. If you hold on to a grudge, you can stay in a place of unforgiveness. If you stay in a place of unforgiveness, you can go in to get a, a root of bitterness. And a root of bitterness, the Bible says in Hebrews, defile many. So all of a sudden now, everybody that's connected to us because of what you went through is now being contaminated. If you don't believe me, quickly look at your neighbor's face. Because the people that really know you, they're looking at you saying, he's talking about you. You know he's talking about you. You know. He yeah. No, I ain't talking about between me and you, but you know you've been having a problem with that girl on your job. And God told you to forgive her and you, you know. So, so here it is. So, so repentance must take place. Then... The third step, so recognition, repentance, the third thing that needs to take place is reconciliation or restoring of the fellowship or the relationship or restoration or restoring of the fellowship. So that means there's an embrace. Here it is. That's what it looks like in the physical. Okay, so here they are. They, oh, that's sweet. Come on, y'all put the hands together for them. All right. 
That's a mother that prays for reconciliation in the family right there. Like, yeah, that's how I want to see it. So here it is. Restoration. The issue is, is what happens when I hit your car and you found out that I did it intentionally? And you're heartbroken. And I say, you know what? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call my insurance. The insurance comes. They cover it. They fix the complete car. The damage that was done, you come back, is, is complete. It's healed. It's restored. But your heart isn't. Because every time you look at it, even though it's being completely restored, it's a reminder of what happened. Between recognizing repentance before you get the restoration, you may have to do something called, here it is, restitution. What is restitution? I hit your car. I had it restored. But your heart is not. So I come and I give you $300. I pay you restitution. $300 doesn't fix your heart. What the $300 shows you is that I was willing to go up and beyond to do what was necessary to see us come back together. Some of you have asked and sought forgiveness. You've repented of your sin. You've even tried to come back in fellowship with them, but you see that there's still something there. And what you need to do is look them boldly in the eye and ask them, what will it take for me? What do I need to do for us to be okay? What do I need to do? I ain't saying, but you did this, but, and this, but. No, what do I need to do to see this restored back to the way it was? All of a sudden, they've recognized, they've repented. He's struggling, man. So what Matthew does is he goes and buys tickets to the Cowboys Broncos Super Bowl. I have to say Broncos because he's a Bronco fan. I'm, I'm trying to work with my audience here. And he says, Danny, I know that we, it doesn't always have to be that. I'm just using it as an example. He was getting ready to give him and invite him to go to the Super Bowl with him. But he moves himself out of the way and says, it's not that I wouldn't go. I would love to go. But my extra ticket I want you to give to your mother. And you and your mother go. Because I want to bless you and your mother to show you my contrition. Guess what this is called? Restitution. Restitution is not something we just use in the criminal system or the court system. Restitution is a biblical principle, and you see it in the Old Testament, that they actually paid restitution for certain types of offenses. So here it is. The offense that was bringing division now has been mitigated because recognition, repentance, restitution, and now we have reconciliation. Amen? So now, because there's reconciliation, they can go back and pick up their load. And listen, pick your load up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Here, they pick their load up, and now they're lowering him into the very presence of Jesus. Don't miss this. And the Bible says when they lower him in the presence of Jesus, they didn't go on the outside in. They went from the top down, and they lowered him into the presence of Jesus. And the Bible says, and Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic son, your sins be forgiven. When he saw their faith, the word faith there is a word we're familiar with, pistis. It means when Jesus saw their confidence in him, when he saw their dependence in him, when, they, when he saw their confidence 
dependence that they were willing to rely and trust in him, he says to the man. Notice Jesus seen that in them. But guess what? This is what I want you to capture. Don't miss this. Not only did Je the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, somebody say there. Sometimes we walk away thinking about only the four men that carry, was car uh, the four men that carry. But the Bible didn't exclude the man on the cot. It takes faith to carry. It takes faith to be carried. Can you imagine trying to carry somebody? You're being carried and you're looking at those two people argue back and forth. You're looking up and you're being carried and you're already hesitant. And all of a sudden they tripping over things. I don't know about you, but if you, they keep tripping over something, you think, look, I'm already messed up. I don't need to be made worse. Put me down. I'll wait till Jesus come to my town. Maybe when he leaves Capernaum, he'll come back through this way. So it didn't just take the faith of the men that carried. It took the faith of the man that was on the cot. And when Jesus saw their faith, which means that even though we can say it certainly included the men that carried, it certainly did not exclude the man that was on the cot. Pastor Willie, what am I trying to tell you? What are you trying to say? I'm simply saying this. Our mission is to understand that God has given us some keys for our kingdom success. And it's going to take teamwork. Not just in ministry, but on the job that you work. I want you to go back online, here on site. I want you to go back with a fresh heart and a fresh mind and a fresh attitude. And when you start looking at your team, and sometimes your team is your team. And sometimes you're not in a position where you can just change out people at will. But here it is. Here's the criteria. When it comes to moving successfully going forward, number one, are they available? But you as a leader, you need to ask yourself, am I available? Number two, are they able? Number two, am I able? Number three, do I have a willing participants? Am I willing? Do I have determined people on our team? Am I still determined? I was determined when we started, but now five years in, am I still determined? And then fifthly, am I, are they, are we submitted to the task that's been given to us? I believe that if we can do that, we can be successful. Deploy, learn, teach, and deploy these principles, and I believe that you'll see a transformation among your team. Can you say amen to that? Now, you don't have to teach it in the way that I taught it. You don't have to go back and say these are the five things I learned. I believe that God will help you transform your department, your group, your agency, your area of responsibility by deploying the principles of what was said to you today. And I believe your life will be changed. Can we give our crew a round of applause? Amen. Notice, Jesus is moved by their faith. The four men plus the man that was carried. What did Jesus see? Did Jesus see their struggle? Did Jesus see their sweat? Did Jesus see just their strength? Did Jesus see their tears? Because this is the thing that I think messes us up as the worship team comes. I think this is the thing that messes us up theologically. 
we assume that the people that was carrying him was carrying him to be healed. And the Bible doesn't teach that. His whole story, eventually, verses 12, 6 through 12, tells us he gets healed. But he gets healed as an afterthought. Go study it yourself. We're going to cover it Wednesday night. But his healing is an afterthought. His primary uh, deliverance was salvation. He says, your sins be forgiven. And I think when we read this story, we assume that the man that was being brought to Jesus was coming to be healed. And the Bible doesn't teach that. You know what it seems like in the passage? All they were doing was just trying to get him to Jesus. We got to go back and reread the scriptures because sometimes we miss what God is trying to do because we have an expectation that may be out of his divine order. I'm not saying that it's wrong to want to be healed. But for us to put that on the text or to put that on the man when the Bible does not say that at all. All it says is that they brought this man who was sick to Jesus. That's the goal, to bring him to Jesus. Is Jesus a healer? Absolutely. Is he a deliverer? Certainly he is. But could it be that they were just bringing a man who was sick just to hear the preach word? This is what I do want you to know. That this man's life was changed because four people were available, able, willing, determined, and was submitted to the task to get him to Jesus. My question to you this morning, are you the same? Are you willing to make yourself available? Are you willing to go through all of those five things and then also allow yourself to be submitted so when offenses come, you're able to deal with those accordingly? There's going to be times you're going to be offended. The offense is not the problem. It's how we get over the offense in a healthy way. Changing locations, changing zip codes does not help you get over the offense. All it does, it allows you to take your offense to another situation. And then, because you didn't get over it, you're still very sensitive in that area because you put a, a Band-Aid on it. Soon as somebody at the new location touched those areas, you're like a porcupine because you're still hurting. I was uh, talking to somebody who had an issue uh, in their relationship from years ago, and the person, they were wrong. They had moved on with their life, moved on, remarried, and they went back to the individual and said, I want to let you know I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I was immature, I was ignorant, I was rude, I was so into myself, and I just want you to know that the things you did didn't go unnoticed. And I want to let you know, I've moved on, but I want you to know I appreciate you, and I'm absolutely sorry for what I did. And the woman said that when they said that, just those words, she said, that's all I ever wanted. Her whole life was held up because she was, now don't get me wrong, you can't, wait your, you can't hold your whole life up waiting for somebody to apologize because some of those people are gone to the grave. Some people you gotta forgive from a distance. But that shows you the power of someone correctly dealing with offense. 
Amen? So this is what I want to, every head bowed, every eye closed. As our worship team comes and is prepared, let us stand. We're closing. Our time is up. As we render this last song unto the Lord, this is what I want to do. I want you to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give you wisdom on where this needs to be deployed in your personal and professional life. Your personal and professional life. Because this wisdom, you, you may deploy, you may be totally successful where you are, but there's some people that you know that is struggling in their leadership, in their relationships. And you can share these principles with them and it will dramatically change their lives. Ask the Holy Spirit. You can change the atmosphere and the environment because when you get there, the Holy Spirit shows up too. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the Holy Spirit is a game changer. And the wisdom that God gives you through his word is not limited to the house of God nor church. But it's a kingdom principle. And if you're a believer, even in your secular job, it is still kingdom. So don't go there defeated, hopeless, but go there full of hope and belief that you possess the principles from God's word to see it change. The principles work. And I think it's fair to use it as a litmus test as you make progress with your team. Amen? It'll work on the basketball court. It will. It'll work. It'll work on the volleyball team. It'll work in the play recital. It will work in school. It will work, but you got to deploy them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for blessing us in your word today. Thank you that we were able to come back together in fellowship. Thank you that we were able to come and spend some time in your word, worshiping, praying, and believing. Now, Lord, we ask that you would take the principles that were taught today and hide them in our heart that we might not ever sin against thee. But bring it back to our remembrance at that time that we need it absolutely the most. Help us to advance the cause of Christ right here in our own community. Lord, I pray the, and plead the blood of Jesus over the mind of those that are watching online and those who are on site that are being attacked mentally, being tormented. We pray that the tormented uh, whole would be broken by the power of your word, by the power of your presence. Holy Spirit, heal, restore, replenish us so that we can continue to go forward. And the load that we've been trying to carry by ourselves, Lord, I'm praying that you would help us to do what needs to be done is our prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your people. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. We hope to see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Go in peace.